We have now come to Lord's Day 51 of the Heidelberg Catechism. That's what we confess, and so let's read our confession together, Lord's Day 51. God's word is summarized there as follows. What is the fifth petition? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That is, for the sake of Christ's blood, do not impute to us, wretched sinners, any of our transgressions, nor the evil which still clings to us. As we also find this evidence of your grace in us, that we are fully determined wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbor. After the sermon, we will sing, we'll respond by singing from hymn 63, the stanzas 1, 6, and 8. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, also you boys and girls, it's not so hard to receive the forgiveness of sins, is it? As a matter of fact, we are eager to receive it. The sooner, the better. We are all like that. The older members of this congregation, as well as the young. When you know that you have done something wrong, you don't want someone else to examine exactly what it is that you did wrong. That's too painful. And when you're in pain, and you want the pain to go away, to receive the forgiveness of sins is an important part of that. We don't therefore want to dwell in our sins. We especially don't want someone else to dwell in our sins. But what about forgiving others their sins? That's a different story, isn't it? We're usually not in such a hurry with that. That takes us a while. We want others to realize the damage they have done. And so it's easy for us to receive the forgiveness of sins, but difficult for us to forgive others their sins. For that reason, in the past, when we dealt with this Lord's Day, that latter part, the forgiving of sins of others, received the emphasis. But that's not what we're going to do this afternoon. We're going to take a different approach. We're going to have a close look at what it takes to receive the forgiveness of sins. That's where our emphasis will be this afternoon. For that's not as easy as you might think. As a matter of fact, that's where the real hard part comes in. If you know what the forgiveness of sins for yourself is all about, then the rest will be easy. Then it will be easy for you and for me to forgive others. Theme for this afternoon's service, service is as follows. The Lord teaches, the Lord Jesus teaches us about receiving the forgiveness of sins. And he teaches us three things. First of all, to be still. In the second place, to be honest. In the third place, to be humble. The prayer of Daniel is a beautiful prayer. There he deals with the many sins of God's people. He mentions the numerous things that they have done wrong, how they broke God's commandments, how they deserve to be punished, how they have been totally selfish in their own actions. He also mentions the consequences of their sins, 
It is very eloquent and humble and detailed prayer. Note, however, that he includes himself. He uses the first person plural, we. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and rebelled, etc. We this and we that. And it may surprise you or me. When we think of Daniel, we think of an upright man, a holy man. We think of someone who is an example of faithful living. We think of Daniel as a hero of the faith, as someone better than the rest. Yet Daniel doesn't see himself that way. He sees himself not any different from anyone else. He knows and confesses that he is as much at fault as to what has gone wrong with the nation of Israel as all the others, including his parents, his grandparents, his uncles and aunts, his nephews and nieces and his friends and all his fellow Israelites. He confesses himself to be just as guilty and just as sinful as they However, he does not ask God to forgive his sin and his guilt, at least not right away. He asks for the forgiveness of sins only until the very last sentence of this prayer. Take a look. Verse 19. That's the very end of his prayer. Only then does he say, O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. He doesn't ask for forgiveness in all the other verses before it. It's a very long prayer. Why? Why do you think he deemed it necessary to put that at the very end? Because Daniel had learned to listen. He had learned to reflect on what God wants first. And that's also what the Lord Jesus wants to teach you and me when he gave us the Lord's Prayer. For that reason, the Lord's Prayer is given to us in that section of the Sermon of the Mount where the Lord Jesus deals with the pharisaical attitude of doing things for the sake of man without taking God into account. The Pharisees were in the habit of praying very publicly on the corners of the streets so that they could be seen by man. When they prayed, they had others in mind. They did not pray for the sake of God in the first place, but they prayed for the sake of man. They wanted to impress others with their piety. Are we any different? Sometimes we stumble in our prayers because we too want to impress others. And so we have a hard time finding our words. We are often so concentrated on ourselves and on how we are doing that even in our prayers, God stands in the background. And for that reason, in our prayers, we also bring our own needs. We have to bring our, that's why we also bring our own needs to the fore before we bring anything else to the fore. 
We are living with feelings of guilt because we know that we have done something wrong and that there are consequences. And so we pray for God to deal with us in our particular situation. We want him to forgive us and to make things better. But now look at the structure of the Lord's Prayer. It doesn't begin with our situation. No, it makes us take a look at God. The Lord Jesus teaches us first to pray to God, who is our Father in heaven. That makes us think about the intimate relationship that God has established himself and his children. And then we have to pray about God's kingdom to make us realize that he is the one who rules over all things. And then we have to pray about the will of God. As we saw the last time, God's will has to do with his commandments, with the ten words of the covenant. And it has to do with the wonderful covenant promises and obligations that he has established. He wants us to come into his presence in this way. And so, when you pray, you first have to think, you first have to be still, and you have to think about the Almighty God, who is, what He stands for. You first have to be still, and think about to whom you are speaking when you pray. In this way, you properly prepare yourself for prayer. Prayer is not something that you do just quickly. Because you have to do it just before a meal. Because it's your custom. No, you take your time. So that you can be in the right state of mind. So that you can be thinking about what God wants from you. Thinking about how he wants you and me to be part of his world. If that's how you prepare yourself for prayer, then your attitude changes. You go from one sphere to another. You gain a different perspective. Then it changes from one that thinks just about your own little world into thinking about the world of God. And what a difference that makes. Praying to God is speaking to him and being in his presence. Reflecting on who he is and what he stands for. Praying is becoming part of his world. The world that he has created and that he so deeply cares about and of which you and I are such an important part. If only Adam and Eve had done that. When they sinned against God, they were only thinking about themselves about what they wanted for themselves. What did they want? They wanted to be like God. They were thinking about what Satan said to them. They were thinking about other things than God. That's where they, and we with them, went wrong. If only they had continued to to want to be part of God's world and concentrate on his goodness, and on his greatness, and on his will, then they would not have sinned. And once they did sin, they could not stop thinking about themselves. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. 
They did not take responsibility for their own wrongdoing. It's everybody else's fault. They wanted to maintain their own position by thinking about the wrongs of others. That's our human nature. Isn't that what we continue to do, brothers and sisters, boys and girls? We blame others when we are in trouble. And we want others to change their behavior. We think that if only other people would change their behavior, then things will be much better. If only so-and-so wouldn't do this or that, then my problems would be over. It's always somebody else that has to change. And because we have such difficulty admitting our own guilt and seeing ourselves as being the largest part of our own problems, we become anxious and we become troubled. And so we pray to God to rescue us. We want him to take action. And that's fine. That's also what Daniel did. After he said, O Lord, forgive, he said right after that, O Lord, hear and act. But once again, note well that he says this at the end of his prayer. He was first open and honest about his sins. Only then did he come with that request. We come to our second point. Look at the things that Daniel mentions. He says that he and his people have turned away from God's commands and laws. That they haven't listened to the prophets. He mentions the shame because of their sins. He mentions the fact that he and God's people have sullied the name of God by their actions. All the nations ridicule them because they claim to be children of the Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. But because of their sinful actions, they had become an object of scorn to them. He also mentions their plight. When Daniel writes these words, they are in a terrible situation. They have been removed from their own country. They have been put into exile in Babylon. Daniel himself experienced the pain of being uprooted from his home, from the city of his own country, from his family and friends. He experienced the pain of being brought into a foreign country where the God of Israel is not known, where they worship pagan gods. But he doesn't blame anyone else for his predicament. He doesn't blame God either. He acknowledges that this happened because of his own sin and the sin of his parents and the rest of God's covenant people. He says that it is their fault, his as well, that this disaster has come upon them and also that they compounded their sins by not turning to God from their sins and giving attention to God's truth, but that they looked for salvation outside of God. They used God as a last resort. And in his prayer, he also goes back into their history as God's people. He mentions how God saved them. Especially how he, he has shown his mighty hand against the Egyptians when he rescued their, them from there. He praises God for his compassion and mercy and for his saving hand. Daniel, of course, is praying on behalf of God's people. It's not just his personal prayer to God. Nevertheless, he is very specific about the sins they have committed. And you see, that's what God also wants from you and from me. 
He wants us to be honest about our sins. And you can only do that if you take a close look at your own life. And only then will you also know what you need to be forgiven for. And so let me ask you, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, do you know what you need to be forgiven for when you ask for the forgiveness of sins? Do you mention your sins? As you prepare to pray, then you should think about your day, about the things that have happened. God wants you to display your sins before him, to bring your sins out into the open before him, and to mention your sins one by one. As you pray to God, think about the things you have said and done. This is what I said wrong. I could have done this a little bit better. Maybe I shouldn't have said this in the way that I did. Maybe I was too busy in my own situation and didn't consider the other person. Think about today. Were you eager to come to this church this morning to be in God's presence? Or were you indifferent? Perhaps a little bit rebellious? Were you thinking more about yourself and your own situation? Or perhaps... You came here because it was expected from you. These things happen. Be honest. What was your conversation like at the breakfast table, at lunchtime? Were you grouchy? Impatient? Are you sitting in church right now? As you are sitting in church right now, What are the kinds of things that are going through your mind? Are you preoccupied with your own financial situation or your own problems? Do you have difficulty putting your trust in God? Do you have difficulty with other people thinking about how they wrong you all the time and the many things that they have done wrong and especially wrong against you? Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we all struggle with these kinds of things. I do too. Those kinds of things go through our minds all the time. Because of sin, that is the way we are wired. We always tend to put God on the background. We sin all the time. We sin against God and we sin against others. The good news is that God will forgive you. As a matter of fact, he will forgive you time and again. That is the kind of God we have. But God wants you and I to be aware of our sinful nature, of how we ourselves are the biggest problem. When we have difficulties in our relationship, it is often because we ourselves have caused many of those problems. And that is why we have to begin right there. We have to take a look inside of our hearts, painful as that may be, For if we don't, then we cannot repent from the kinds of things we are doing. And then whatever troubles we have in our lives will continue and they will become worse. That is why we have to lead lives of examination. That's not just something you do just before Lord's Supper time. Lord's Supper table. It's something that you do all the time, every day, in your prayers. Prophet Isaiah, who is the mouthpiece of God, said to God's people in Isaiah 40, verse 27, 
Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? God's people prayed to God, but he did not answer. And for that reason, Isaiah rebukes them. For the truth is that he did not answer in the way that they expected. They wanted God to rescue them from their troubles without repenting from their sins. They wanted to take a shortcut. And that's what we all want to do, isn't it? But it doesn't work that way. You can't ask God to rescue you from your problems without first acknowledging your own sins. It may well be that you do not know exactly how you are part of a problem. As a matter of fact, we never know the extent of our sins and our own culpability. But we have to try to come to gain insight into our own selfish and sinful behavior. And therefore, be still, be honest, be open. You have to be in a proper state of mind. And that means you have to look in the mirror, the mirror that God holds up to you in his word. And what does he tell you? He tells you that you must keep his commandments. Take your mind through God's commandments. The first commandment states that you must love God above all else. You have to make him number one in your life. He isn't, is he? Be honest. Be honest in your prayer. Think about how you have made other things much more important than God. The second commandment teaches you not to worship God in your own manner. Not to think of of him in a human way. Not to think of him, for example, of not being able to help you when you're in trouble. Not to think of him as if he is blind and can't see what's going on. And so we can keep on going through all the commandments. There are so many things that are wrong in our lives. Also in our relationship with others. We do not promote the honor and reputation of our neighbor in the way that we should. We are selfish in our actions. And therefore, there are consequences to our sins. There are consequences to specific sins and to sins in general. If, for example, you are an alcoholic, then the immediate result will be that you are going to receive cirrhosis of the liver. That is the result of a specific sin. But you cannot say that when you are ill, that that is necessarily because of a specific sin but it is because of your sinful existence. We ourselves are ultimately responsible for our own troubles and our own predicament. And that's what you have to bring before the Lord. That is what you have to acknowledge to him when you pray. You have to show in your prayer an awareness of your sinful condition. And that's what Daniel does in his prayer. Before he comes with his request for the forgiveness of sins, he has a long list of the things that he and his people have done wrong. And now you may say to yourself, well, isn't that depressing? Doesn't that put put a damper on things? Shouldn't we be concentrating on the positive rather than the negative? 
Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, don't think that Daniel, when he made this prayer, when he made this list of wrongdoings, that he did this in a depressed or negative state of mind. Not at all. Don't think that he was full of despair and doubt about God's willingness to forgive. He knew very well the kind of God that he was praying to. He knew that he is a forgiving and a loving God, full of compassion. He knew that God does not delight in the sins and in the sinful state of man. And it will also become abundantly clear as we deal with Daniel further. Daniel prayed in the joy of his faith. Daniel prayed in the right state of mind. Daniel prayed to a father in heaven whom he knows he has disappointed because of his sins, but who nevertheless delights in his people. And how much more, how much more not for you and me today? For now we live after the payment for our sins through the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We may be fully assured that the Lord forgives us our sins because his son, his son died for our sins. We do not have to doubt even as we look at the many ways in that we have sinned against God. We can pray out of thankfulness that we can be open and honest to God about our sins because we pray to a loving God. And if that is how we see it, then you do not need to hide your sins either. If that is the attitude you have, in your prayer about the forgiveness of sins, then the rest is easy. For when you realize the extent of your own sins, then you have humbled yourself before God. And then you see the depth of your depravity. And that's why the Catechism also teaches us to pray not to impute to us wretched sinners any of our transgressions. The word wretched reminds us of what Paul says in Romans 7 where he deals extensively with his inability to keep the law of God, with his desire to do good, but with his inability to do any good in all circumstances. And then he cries out in agony, wretched man that I am, and he adds, who will deliver me? And then he gives thanks to God, thanks to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. But now... You stand in a totally different relationship over against God. You see his greatness and your own smallness. You realize now that your sin ultimately is not any different from the sin of your neighbor. We're all murderers. We're all thieves. We all are sinners before God. But we need to repent from our sins time and again and lead lives of repentance. Indeed, to pray for the forgiveness of sins is not always easy. Certain sins against us have deeply touched us, really hurt us. And therefore the question may be with those who have difficulty overcoming those kinds of things, do we always have to forgive and do we have to forgive everything? Well, this is a topic we have dealt with in the past. When we have to deal with deep hurts from the past, there needs to be a certain process. For we have to deal with our own humanness. 
We are not God. We have to work certain things through. And you can only do that through God who strengthens you. But we're not talking about those deep-seated kinds of hurts that people have within them. We're talking about the kinds of problems and wrongs you have to deal with in your everyday life. Your husband or your wife says something wrong. Your boss doesn't appreciate you the way you should, the way he should. You heard some gossip about you, and you're hurt. Or other people treat you or said something or whatever, or they push their way around. And so we can go on and on the kinds of things that happen in your everyday life. Don't concentrate on what other people do. Think about yourself. You do the same things. Maybe not exactly the same, but you sin all the time against others as well. Do you know what it says in Ecclesiastes? It says there in chapter 7, verse 21, Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you have cursed others. Again, think about yourself. Don't have too pious a concept of your own righteousness. Have the attitude of forgiveness. Put yourself in a relationship with God. Of course, you have a relationship with Him. But God has established that. And through prayer, you maintain that relationship with God. But then you have to think about how He sees you. And when you do that, He will also put you in a right relationship with Him again. And in a relationship with others. For when you start with that, it will be so much easier for you to forgive others. The little barbs and hurts and selfish acts. And then you're able to shove them away. You're able to live in kindness and harmony with your neighbor. Because you have learned to be still. To be open. To be honest. The Lord Jesus says that God will not forgive you your sins if you are not able to forgive the sins of others as well. Think about that. The only way that you can forgive others if you know what the receiving of the forgiveness of sins means in the first place. The Lord Jesus paid an enormous price to be able to forgive you and me our sins. We could never make such a payment. And we don't have to. But we do have to make sacrifices ourselves. The sacrifice of self-denial. The sacrifice of letting hurts Go. God has done it for you. Now you can do it as well. But thankfully we don't have to do these things in order to earn our salvation. No. But we do have to do them because we have already been saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. And it is the blood of Christ that makes it easy. Because he has already forgiven us. We can forgive others. In this way... The honor and glory is to him alone. Amen.
Let us know. United Thanksgiving.